that was it. So, yes, if you want one of those, oh, how do you sign up for an Advent box? We actually have some up here today. You can fill out a connection card, um, and uh, your kids can participate in that. That's exciting. So I have this up here so I would not forget. Uh, you want to know what's inside of here. So, all right, let's jump into the scriptures. And um, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. And um, as we begin this series, uh, we're calling it In the Dark Streets Shineth. comes from the old hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And maybe you're familiar with that Christmas carol, right? O Little Town of Bethlehem. Right? Um, that's how I sing. I sing kind of like uh, a parent on Charlie Brown. And... Um, that's why they don't let me join the worship team. But uh, part of that hymn uh, talks about in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's, we've had some dark streets this year. <laughs> and, um, and certainly we are in need of the reminder that an everlasting light is shining in the dark streets. And so we're going to talk about from gloom to glory today. We're going to talk about hope as we navigate. So the passage you're looking for is Isaiah 9, if you have a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's actually some in the back uh, that are clean and sanitized, and uh, those guest services folks there can get you one, or you could just follow along on the screen. Uh, but let's take a moment to pray before we begin and just ask God to speak to us through this time of worship. And so if you'll join me in a word of prayer. Father, I come to you humbly, needing your grace, praying you'd help me, a sinful man, communicate your words. Praying, Father God, that through this time, as we look at the scriptures, the infallible word of God written for us preserved over ages Lord not a mixture of error God we would be encouraged we would be challenged Lord we would hear your words not a man's words and so father we pray most of all that Christ would be exalted God because you have promised that if if, if Christ is lifted up you have said in your word all men will be drawn unto me and so God that's our prayer all men all women all boys and girls will be drawn closer to Christ during this time, Father God. And um, and as you're there in your seat, wherever you are in your spiritual life, I just want to, with your head bowed and eyes closed, want to encourage you to have a little conversation with God. Again, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, and maybe just reach out to God quietly there in your heart. And maybe just say something like this, Lord, speak to me today. Lord, speak to me today. Just pray that in your seat. And then maybe you want to say something like this, for Lord, I intend to obey. Show me who you are. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, we are talking about hope today as you find your way in Isaiah 9. Hope, this interesting word of hope. And, um, and, and really, hope is this amazing thing that often we don't talk about. You may be familiar with the passage of Scripture that says these three remain right, faith, hope, and love. Uh, but the greatest of these is love, and certainly we have these three sort of core virtues in the Christian faith, and love is the greatest. It's the greatest commandment. Jesus told us what is the greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. But often Bible scholars will tell us and theologians say hope is really the foundation, though, of faith and love. Hope uh, is the linchpin, if you will, of um, faith. And love. In fact, the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, tells us as much. Uh, I think we have that, right? Look at Colossians 1, verses 4 and 5. It says this, because we have heard of your faith, right? There's faith in Christ, 
Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. Now notice what the next verse says. Um, verse 5, it goes on to say, the faith and love, you see those both again there, the faith and love that what? Spring from hope. Man, have you ever thought about that? That our faith and our love really have to spring from this idea of hope. We have to have a desire. We have to have a hope of something we look forward to. If we don't have hope, well, man, we're not going to be very good at loving, right? Because we're going to be like, well, it's not going to turn out anyway, so why would I love anybody? And I'm just going to be a Grinch and, and stomp around, you know? Uh, and, and, and without hope uh, in, in a better future and that good things are coming, uh, as one theologian said it, our faith is really just um, ideas gathering dust on a shelf. They're just doctrines. But, man, when you have hope, now all of a sudden faith means something. When you have hope, all of a sudden love now has a greater purpose. And so sometimes we don't talk about the need for hope and the desire for hope, that we need hope. And I don't know about you, but it's very clear our world has been searching for hope, right? I mean, especially now. Like, we're just looking for the latest thing, right? How many of you have heard this statement? You can finish this statement for me, because uh, I've said it, and I'm, I know you have said it, or at least heard people have said it, okay? I can't wait for 2020 to be, right? How many of us have said that? Like, just this morning we're saying that, right? I can't wait for 2020 to be over. Like, you know, um, like January uh, 1st of 2021 uh, is just magically going to transfer everything. Like coronavirus is going to be gone. Uh, all the politics will be all sorted out. You know, just like it's just a magic switch, right? And uh, no, that's, that's not going to happen. But we need something to hope for, right? We need something to look forward to. And, uh, and that's just in us and our nature. The problem is our definition of hope and the biblical definition of hope are different, right? Our definition of hope we usually say, I hope for something, and it's an uncertainty, right? Like, I hope I get this for Christmas. I hope the PS5 doesn't sell out again, right? I hope I get a, a phone for Christmas. I hope I get a car for Christmas. I hope that I, I get this for Christmas. And, and what we really mean is, it probably ain't going to happen, but I can say I hope anyways, right? I hope that, you know, when my dad comes home from work, we can play kickball, you know, before dinner or something like that. We, we throw out hope, and usually we mean, eh. It's probably not going to happen, but at least I can hope, right? You know, and um, and so when we use the word hope, we use it in an uncertain term, and um, and and we don't have a whole lot of certainty to our hope when we talk about it, right? Um, this uh, Friday, my wallet was stolen, and um, and someone had a nice Black Friday at Walmart, and um, and so uh, even though I saw a charge, you know, I got a little notification. Uh, and I couldn't find my wallet. I was like, okay. And, uh, and I saw a charge at a local Walmart, and I thought, hmm, babe, did you buy something at Walmart? And, I, like, my wife will choke on spending $20, right? And this was several hundred dollars that was spent at Walmart. So I knew. I was like, it was probably not my wife. And, uh, and so I was like, did you buy something at Walmart? And, you know, she was like, no. And, um, and, so, uh, and so even though my – look, I have these facts before me. My wallet is missing, and there is a mysterious charge at Walmart. And I'm saying to myself, I really hope I can find my wallet, right? I'm still like looking through my car, despite the evidence, right, that is sitting just plainly in front of me. I'm like, I hope I can find my wallet, right? And, uh, and, and, and it's, there is this large uncertainty I didn't want to admit and just give in to the fact that, you know, somebody's got that sucker and they are having a good time uh, swiping. So I don't know, maybe they got a new TV and, and took advantage of some Black Friday deals. Uh, but anyhow, I'm, I'm still hoping, right, to, to get my wallet back. And you know, especially guys, right, we love our wallets, right? I mean, my wallet is 
is as old as Moses probably, and it's coming apart at all these different seams, but it's just something about it's comfortable, you know? And, uh, and so we use this word of hope in an uncertain frame. But the Bible uses the word hope in an absolute certainty, in an absolute certainty. Like some of you who, who watch football and you saw how the Washington football team um, whooped the Dallas Cowboys, right? And, and there was now some, some certain hope that, uh, that, that Washington is back, right? And, uh, uh, and, and, and if you're from this area, there are some longstanding rivalries, you know, between Washington and Dallas. And, um, or, or maybe if you're familiar with, uh, I've been watching this series uh, called The Last Dance about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And, um, and it seems that like whenever Michael Jordan just like wants to hit a switch, if he is motivated enough, he will not lose a game. Like, you know, they could be down by this, and he just hits a switch, and he scores 60 points, 50 points. Like, he just – and everyone tries to stop him. They double-team him. They, put a, they, they beat him up uh, and all this sort of stuff. And they're just like – when he determines he wants to win, he just takes over the whole game. And there was, like, this certain hope. His teammates have this certain hope. Like, just get Jordan the ball. We don't care. Just get him the ball because he'll hit a shot backwards. He'll throw it up this way after five guys foul him, and, and it'll just go in. And, uh, and there is a certain hope. In fact, this definition um, is, is one that I came across this week. Uh, I think it's a good definition. I want to encourage you to write it down. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope is, is a confident expectation and desire. I think we have that on the screen there. We'll, we'll throw it up there. Right? This is uh, the definition of biblical hope. Right? Is that it's this confident desire and expectation that something good is going to happen, that God is going to bring me good. And the reason why it's confident and not a worldly hope is, is, is because I'm banking on the character of God. I'm banking on the, the moral certainty of God that he has promised good to us. That doesn't mean everything is going to work out the way I want it to work out, but that does mean good is coming. That does mean ultimately good will come. That does mean we can say this with certainty, even in a crazy 2020 year, we can say the best is yet to come. And I remember starting 2020 almost with that statement, you know, and, and none of us knew what was coming in 2020. And some of you are like, Pastor, you said the best was yet to come. And, uh, and guess what? I still stand by that statement because the best is yet to come because Christ is committed and has promised that he will return and he will restore all things that are broken. And one day we will spend eternity in, in, uh, with him. And so, yes, good things are coming and we can have a certain hope in that. And, um, and so that's how we can be encouraged. I heard about the story about a little kid, right? Because little kids sometimes do better at hope than we do, right? Because little kids really believe stuff is coming, right? I mean, you might be like, no, you're not getting that. And they're like, no, I'm still getting it, right? Um, my, my son is, is convinced that he can get uh, ro ro Robux. This is his game. He plays Roblox. He's convinced he can get, they're usually like a dollar for a dollar. He wants, you know, a gift card for Roblox. And he's convinced that he can get a $10 gift card for $1. He's like, no, I can get it for free. I saw, I saw my friend told me. And he is like convinced. And, and he, we were in tears last night arguing over the fact. He's like, no, I know it's real. And I'm like, but there are people, I have to tell them about the wicked people of the world that are like trying to get my credit card information or my social security to give you $10 and free Roblox, whatever it is. Okay, but it's not going to be real, man. But he's just got this hope. I know it's real. And, uh, and kids were like, I heard about a kid who was uh, playing for a baseball team, little leaguer, and I was playing one afternoon. And uh, man, they were getting hammered. The score was 18 to nothing. And so one of the adults uh, said to this little boy, I said, hey, man, I bet you're kind of discouraged. 
The little boy said, why would I be discouraged? We hadn't even gotten up to bat yet. And just like, hey, we get up to bat, we'll score 18 runs too. No big deal, right? Sometimes kids have a better certainty and idea of biblical hope than we do. And so we enter into the Old Testament, the, 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 the people of God uh, in Isaiah's time, and they were under judgment. Their nation was being attacked by other nations. The Assyrian nation was a vicious nation. Uh, the Babylonians would soon come after that. They, they had sinned and walked away from God, and they were being judged as a nation. And it was a horrific time. And in the middle of this, in fact, Isaiah, most of Isaiah is judgment, 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 not very good pictures. And then, you know, chapter 9 starts to give them a little bit of hope. And they're going through some very dark times. And in fact, God's going to say, you're going to continue to go through dark times, but I'm going to give you my word. I'm going to give you my promise that you can hope that I will turn this around for you. You can hope and you can take it to the bank that I will restore you, that I will return you. And, um, and, there, and this is where we find a prophecy about Jesus. And Isaiah was written over 700 years before the Christ child came to earth. Over 700 years, this prophecy. And there are, there are over 300 prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament, and we can find many of them. And so let's, let's pick it up here as we navigate. You can write this down, point number one, about how to have some real hope in 2020. Not just, you know, I wish 2021 will do better. Um, we can have real hope in 2020 by this. Number one, write this down. Name your disappointments. First thing is you got to name your disappointments, right? There have been some disappointments, and, um, and we can't move on to hope until we are willing to name those things. I typically like to just power through them. 2020 been a hard year, Pastor? Nah, nah, it's not that big. We're just, we're just trudging through. I'm just powering through it, you know? I'm going to will myself to get through it instead of just saying, you know what, man, I, I am really disappointed in the things that we didn't get to do this year, right? There's been a lot of losses this year, amen? I mean, we, we have lost family members. We have lost church members. We have, uh, we have dealt with disease. We have dealt with discouragement. Um, people have lost, uh, you know, people were planning weddings, right? And their wedding had to get canceled. That's a loss, right? And that's something we need to name and bring that before the Lord. Um, you know, people have lost their jobs. Um, I mean, that, that's been extremely real. Uh, people, I mean, even as simple things as their birthdays were shifted, right? Kids who are here and your birthday was not celebrated the way it's normally celebrated, that's a loss. And, um, you know, um, even in, in our family, right, sports were, were uh, you know, a big thing. And, and for my kids not to participate in some of their sports thing, I mean, that was a loss. We were talking with some other friends the other week, and we were like, man, it was fun for the parents, you know. The kids got to go play sports, and they got to hang out with their friends, but the parents, we're on the sidelines, and we're in the bleachers like, but I get to see my friends now. And there was some encouragement, and the whole thing was shifted. And, and just uh, naming the fact that, man, that's something we really missed this year, and that's okay. And, uh, and if you were here last week, we talked about gratitude. Listen, it's okay to name a loss. That's not grumbling. Uh, in fact, when you bring it before the Lord, that's, that's what we talked about is lamenting. And so, because what happens is, if we don't name these losses and we just try to power through it, we end up making spiritual agreements with Satan. We make spiritual agreements with Satan. What do you mean by that? Well, let's say you, you know, uh, we make an agreement like this. You're praying for someone to get healed. Right? And you're praying, and you're praying, you're praying, and then they don't get healed. Right? Maybe they pass away. And secretly in your mind, we would hardly ever articulate this with our, our words. We often make an agreement with Satan and say, God doesn't really answer prayer. Right? We wouldn't articulate that. But watch how your prayer life, right? You were praying hard, you were praying hard, you were praying. And then the rest of your prayers after that are kind of like safe, dainty little prayers because your heart is just broken. 
and you haven't admitted that before the Lord and taken it to him, and we make these little agreements, right? The Lord doesn't really answer prayer. Maybe you're praying for a financial situation, right? God, you know, I've lost my job. I'm going through this financial situation. God, I really need you to provide. I need you to provide. And he didn't provide in the way you thought he should. And you make this agreement. God won't really come through for me. I've got to do it all on my own. And so we work harder and we strive more and we scratch and kick and scrape. And we say, in our mind and in our heart with Satan, we make an agreement. Maybe some of you, as we celebrated Thanksgiving, and uh, man, I hope it was a great week for you, but I, I know that it probably wasn't for everybody. And maybe you didn't get invited. Um, and, and maybe it had nothing to do with COVID-19. Maybe you didn't get invited to the table. And you make an agreement. See, I really don't fit in anywhere. I really, I really don't belong to anybody. Right? We make these little agreements. I will never belong. I will always be forgotten about. My family doesn't really care about me anyways. And we make these agreements with lies with Satan. We have to be so careful about that. And when we name these disappointments and we bring them to the Lord, he can now give us the truth about that. No, you're not forgotten about. You're always remembered by me. But if we don't name them and we don't say, you know what? Man, I, I do feel like I'm forgotten about. I always get left behind. Some of you believe, listen, I have to perform perfectly. Right? And, and that can be the stress of the holidays. I have to perform perfectly. I, the table's got to be just right. I got to bake all this stuff just right. And I got to do it all on my own. And if I don't do it, my family won't truly love me. And if I don't make a good impression upon all the guests, right, I have to perform perfectly. That's an agreement. It's a spiritual agreement that we make with our enemy. And, um, and we can't do that, folks. God is working in other people's lives. You know, I see everybody else happy and joyful. God is working in their lives. He, he never really works in my life that way. And again, we would never articulate these things. But can I just ask you, have you thought that in your mind? And, and when you name those disappointments, it helps you bring that to the Lord and confess it and then move on. You can't move to hope, right? Because if you just resign to this agreement, I'll never, I'll ne I'll, I'll never get married. I'll, I'll always be single. I'll, I'll always be this way. I'll always be stuck with this kind of poor attitude. I'll always be addicted to this, right? And, and we make these agreements and then there's no hope, right? And we just keep powering through life, and that's really not living to our fullest. And so we've got to name those disappointments. You know what? I was disappointed that my birthday was different or the wedding got canceled or we didn't get to make that trip. I was disappointed. Even in the small things, you might think it's small, but when you bring it to the Lord, if, it, if it's bothering you, bring it to the Lord, amen? And so we've got to name those things. Let's look at the people uh, in Isaiah's time. Isaiah's now, you're going to see them because you can't move on to hope unless you name those things. But look at what's going on with Isaiah, verse 1. It says this. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Man, that's a great verse, right? There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Again, the admission that there is an anguish. In fact, in, um, in the, as the Bible was originally written, it was mankind who put numbers and chapters and all that sort of stuff. In the original language, chapters and verse numbers aren't there. I hope I didn't shock anybody by saying that, but... Um, that we, we did that so that we could study it in a setting like this, or you could be in a Bible study and be like, turn to chapter 1, verse 2. It makes it a lot easier for public teaching. Um, but in, in the original languages, the last verse of chapter 8 and this verse are kind of one verse. And so let me just show you, if you have your Bible, you can look at verse 8, 22. But it says this, again, notice the parallel of the words there. Uh, verse 22 of chapter 8 says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of Anguish. Again, same words there, gloom and anguish, right? And they will be thrust into thick darkness. And again, this was the, the judgment that was coming upon Israel um, for their walking away from God. 
and, um, and, and they had walked themselves really into darkness. And so notice this is not encouraging, right? This is difficult. There are losses here that they are facing. These people lost their homeland. They were invaded by foreign nations and dragged out of their houses and villages, separated by families, taken away in shackles. Man, you want to talk about losses. They, they faced some tremendous losses. They, weren't, they, they got moved to another city where they didn't even speak their own language. You want to talk about being lonely and isolated. Man, when, when, when they got exiled from their homeland, this was some serious difficulties. Now, again, back to verse 9, uh, not 9, chapter 9, excuse me, verse 1. Again, so now, right, look at the words there. But there will be no gloom. So he's, he's, he's saying, look, there is reason to hope. There is anguish and there is darkness, but there will be no gloom. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And look at the second part of the verse. In the former time, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. Those are some of the northern tribes of Israel. But in the latter time, in other words, he's saying a time is coming. He has made glorious the way of the sea. So we go from gloom to glory, right? He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. In fact, Jesus would quote this same verse to uh, people as he started his ministry, as Jesus spent time in Galilee. Again, this is another piece of the prophecy uh, about where Jesus would have the majority of his ministry, right along the Sea of Galilee. And, um, and so listen, this, this is important for us to navigate here, no, noting this prophecy occurring at least 700 years. But there are dark times, and you can't, again, move on to hope until you're willing to admit the dark times. And so can I just ask you to think about maybe writing down in your Bible or a notebook if you have it or, I mean, the connection card will work as well. Are there some losses you've had this year that you haven't yet named? You know, are there some agreements that you've been making? You know, um, I, I'm always this way. It'll always be this way. God really won't come through. He doesn't answer my prayer. You know, may I ask you to think through some of those and just bring that before the Lord and name it? That's really the first step to hoping again, because we really resign hope um, when we make those agreements. And so, um, point number two, as we move on this, point number two is this, simply set your hope only on Jesus. Set your hope only on Jesus. I mean, if you know that Jesus is really the only sure thing we can bank on. I mean, listen, maybe, maybe uh, you put your hope in January 1st, 2021, but I'm just going to let you know, 2021 may disappoint you. I hate to be real with you, but I've got to be. I don't get paid to tell people lies. I used to tell teenagers when I, when I was a youth pastor, listen, if, if, I, if I got paid to tell people lies, I'd go into marketing and sell you some shoes real quick, right? I mean, I would tell you some lies, and I'd live in a bigger house and take care of my family in all kinds of ways. I, I, don't, I don't get paid to tell people lies. I get paid to tell you the truth. And the truth is, 2021 may be worse than 2020. Wow, thanks, pastor. I really came to church to be built up today. And uh, yes, you can still be built up. You want to know why? Because the best is still yet to come. You can still have hope, not in 2021, and, and that a magic fairy is going to sprinkle uh, fairy dust all over 2021, but in the fact that, listen, we have a blood-bought Savior who made a promise. And when he makes a promise, he keeps every promise. And so you can put your hope in Jesus, and he won't fail you. Thanksgiving may have failed you, right? Maybe you're hoping to have, okay, it's going to be Thanksgiving. We've got something to look forward to. We can finally get to it. And Thanksgiving may have failed you. You may be looking forward to Christmas, and you're like, all right, we, Thanksgiving was a bust, but Christmas is going to be better. I promise. We're going to get the lights and the tree. It's going to be perfect, and, and this is going to be great. Look, Christmas may fail you, but Jesus will never fail you. Amen? Right? I, I don't know what else you put in your hope in. Uh, uh, politicians, 
And uh, on either side of the aisle, you put your hope in the politician. Every politician at some level will fail you. But Jesus will never fail you. Man, look at, look at the beauty of what Isaiah says here in the next couple verses. Look at uh, verse 2. Oh, I, I skipped over verse 2, didn't I, Mike? Did I skip over verse 2? That's all right. We're going to hit it back. Thank you, brother. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? A great light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, the, the Bible, the actual original language there is the, the valley of the shadow of death, right? These people were in a difficult time. But then it says, on them, what has shown? A light has shown. Now we can skip ahead, Brother Mike, to verse 3. I apologize for that. So again, we have darkness. We have deep darkness. We have the land of the valley of the shadow of death. Now verse 3, he says this, but you, and he's writing in a future tense here, so we could say you will, right? This is what they are to put their hope in. You will, God will, multiply the nation. Uh, the nation right now is being attacked and decimated and scattered, and he's saying you will multiply the nation. You will increase its joy. They will, in the future, rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. You know, what is he talking about there? He's talking about an, an agricultural society. And I don't know about you. My kids get excited when we roll up, um, you know, when my wife rolls up with the groceries in hand, right? Because they're like, yay, the, 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 the cabinets are restocked, you know, praise the Lord, you know. And uh, they're, they're excited to see mom roll up with some groceries, right? And um, and uh, in the agriculture side, there was no Walmart they could go to to get those groceries. So when the harvest came, and that's what he's talking about, he says they will rejoice as when the harvest comes in, man. They roll up with the wagon, and it's got hay and 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 wheat, and it's got dates and figs and all that sort of stuff. The kids and everybody's like, yay, we got food to make it through the winter, right? Like that's how they're rejoicing. And so there's going to be great joy. He's saying this is how you're going to rejoice because of God making His promise, because you can count on God's character. Amen. And so look at verse 4, though. It gets even better. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the days of Midian. Again, look at those words there. He's saying, and these people are going to be taken away with bars across their back and shackles on their feet. And he's saying, listen, all that stuff is going to be broken because God is going to come and free you. And uh, man, that is so Beautiful there, the bar on the shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, it will all be broken. And then he goes on to verse 5. In verse 5 he says this, For every boot and trampling warrior in battle and tumult, and every garment, how many garment and how many boots? Everyone rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What? What's he talking about there? He's saying every weapon that has been formed against you, every attack that has come against you from the enemy, every Thing, that every war that has happened in your heart and in your home and in your family, man, God is going to burn all your enemies and, and it'll be done with. But not just burn, but notice what he says here. He says it will be burned as what? What he's really saying here is that all those things, all those hardships and difficulties that came against you, they will be useful to you now. God, and God is the only one who can take what was meant for evil and turn it for your good, Right? You got fired from that job, and God will use that to put you in another place that you would have never uh, stepped in before, right? I mean, God is going to take every weapon, every attack that's come against you, and he and he alone will turn it for your good. The New Testament 
testifies to this as Romans 8, 28 says this. It says, and we know that for those who love God, that's the key and important thing there, for those who love God, all things, how many things? All things work together for good. Not all things are good, right? But God will work all things together for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God will, and he's made that a, a promise. He will take all, every trampling boot, right? All, all the warrior's garments, right? Those, those, those soldiers came into the cities of Israel and Judah, right? And their trampling boots and their fancy garments. And, uh, and, they, and they were a menace to those people. And now those things are going to be used for fuel for their fire. That's a great victory to see. Now what was uh, brought against me is now going to be useful for my good. It's going to be used as fuel for the fire. And then he closes with verse 6. And this is really uh, beautiful here. And this is probably the part of the passage most people are familiar with. Amen. For unto us a child is born. What child is that going to be? That's the Christ child. Again, 700 years before he would have come. For unto us a child is born. For to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Amen? I'm glad the government will be upon off the shoulders of mankind. Uh, I'll be rejoicing in that. The government will be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called, look at the four names here, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, folks, this is talking about Jesus. Notice these words here that he uses for them. Wonderful counselor. What does that mean? That means there is no one smarter than God. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the wonderful, as some translators say, even strategist. No one gives God counsel, do they? If you're familiar with the book of Job and all the trials and hardships that Job faced, um, Job actually brings his questions to God. And then God actually questions Job at the end of the book of Job. And he says, hey, Job, I appreciate your questions and all, and it's been great, this conversation. I just have a few questions for you. Uh, where were you when I created the Pleiades and, and all these stars and magnificent things? And the Pleiades is a, a connection of little stars. It's really pretty to look at. And uh, were, were you there when I put the Pleiades in, in, into existence? Were you there when I set the, the world on this foundation and, and this humongous planet that weighs only God knows how much is floating in the space with no strings, with nothing attached to it? And he's like, Joe, were you there when I... When I when I did that? Joe, were you there when I created the land and the, the depths of the sea and, and how deep they are? And I told the sea to stop right here. Joe, Joe did, you, did you consult me? Did I consult you? Was I like, hey, Joe, can you help me kind of figure out quantum mechanics and, uh, and how we're going to do this? And, and, and Joe, when I created, you know, people's bodies and I created their cells uh, to, to be like these amazing little worlds with the nucleus and, um, and, and ribosomes and lysosomes and, and, they, and they have a membrane and all this sort of stuff that protects it from the... And, did I consult you for that? When I created all your bodily systems and, 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 uh, and your brain and your heart and your lungs to work and your central nervous system to work by itself, uh, and, uh, and I created an endocrine system to, to you know, monitor all these different things, and did I consult you? Did I counsel you? No. No. God is designed and is the master strategist, and, and he created this uh, amazing, massive universe, and, and even just our planet is massive and amazing. Uh, that we hadn't begun to scratch the surface on. He's the wonderful counselor. This is Jesus. And then it says, not just, so, so not only is he infinitely smart and, and making a strategy, but he's also the mighty, what? The mighty God. He's infinitely powerful. So he's infinitely wise. He's infinitely powerful. Much better than Thanos in Avengers. And um, 
infinitely powerful, but he's also infinitely wise. He is the mighty God. No one is more powerful than God. He is the mighty God. And this is Jesus, who is the coming Messiah that, that these Old Testament folks are banking their hope upon. A Messiah is going to come and truly free us. And then he's not only the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, he is the everlasting Father. So not only is he brilliant and, and powerful, but he's also good and kind in the way that a father should be. I know uh, not all fathers are, I understand that, okay? But, but the picture of a father taking care of his children, he is the everlasting Father. And then he is the Prince of Peace. Oh, man, do we need some peace or what? Right, he is the Prince of Peace. This is Jesus. And so we are to set our hope only on Jesus because only Jesus fulfills all of this, right? He is God in the flesh. Man, Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father. And that's who we can put our hope on. Nobody else, not your spouse, not your children, not your parents, not your neighbor, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend not your bank account, surely not your wallet or the places you leave your wallet. You can't count on any of those things, but you can count on Jesus to never fail you. Amen? And so how do we have hope in 2020? Man, you, you name your disappointments. You put your hope only in Jesus. And then number three is we've got to fill our imaginations with the coming kingdom. We've got to fill our imaginations, our sanctified imaginations with the coming kingdom. I don't know about you, but I was challenged many years ago to think about eternity more often and, and to dwell upon it. And uh, a lot of us don't think enough about heaven. Heaven is not going to be just a bunch of fat, chubby babies, um, you know, strumming harps sitting on a cloud. I hope you know that. And if I just destroyed your view of heaven, well, I'm sorry. Uh, again, I don't get paid a lot to people. If you thought heaven, and listen, I love a worship service. I love gathering in a, in a worship service like this. So I'm glad we could do it in person. And, uh, but sometimes people are like, man, we're going to worship Jesus for all of eternity. And some of us think, is heaven going to be like a Sunday church service for all of eternity? Because I'm not so sure. That's very exciting to me. I mean, Pastor, I like you and all, and, and worship team, y'all are great, but I might be counting some ceiling tiles in heaven. Like, that's just going to get boring after a while. I mean, like, you know, an hour, hour and a half, maybe two, maybe one day, okay? Like, I could handle one day, but but if we're going to talk about eternity here, Jesus, can I can I get a redo? You know, can I get a refund, right? Some of us, uh, that sounds more like torment, and that sounds like heaven, right? Let's just be honest. It's okay. You can be honest today, and it uh, won't offend me because I'll be right there with you. I'll be like, look, we had enough singing, guys. I just need to sit down. Woo, Lord, have mercy. And um, and some preacher, you know, just droning on and on and on. Man, it's, it's time to do something else. And uh and listen, heaven is going to be brilliantly way more than all of that. Yes, we're going to worship God for eternity. But how many know you, you worship God when you, when you go out on an early morning walk and it's just the cool of the morning, you're looking at the beautiful fall colors, and you're just like standing before the glory of God? And um, man, I, I mean, I was watching a Khan Academy video about mRNA and, and how all that works and how cells, don't ask me why I watch this stuff, okay, I just, I get curious, and the internet is bad things for people who have ADHD, and you just get a thought, and you're like, oh, I wonder how this works. And, um, and, and, but even the guy in Khan Academy, who's, who's probably not a believer, I don't know the man, and so, but uh, he's like, man, we should be amazed at mRNA and just how the DNA replicates itself, and, and, and it goes from you know, translation, and it takes your DNA and the A and T and C and G and just rewrites that and creates another. He's like, we should be in awe of that, right? And I am in awe of that. And uh, I mean, there's, we're going to have eternity to, to 
plumb the depths of God's genius, to plumb and explore all of creation. Uh, we, we need to remember that the earth is going to be remade. Uh, the Bible says uh, in Revelation, yes, there is a new heavens, but also says there is a new earth. John Eldridge, uh, pastor uh, and author, uh, he has this ministry called Desiring, or not Desiring God, excuse me. Uh, they changed the name of it. Wild at Heart is, is the, the name there. Wild at Heart. Um, it was called Ransom Heart. But um, he writes this. In fact, he has a book called All Things New where he talks about the future of heaven and the glory. And he says this. It's a long quote, but I'll share it with you. He says, Enter Jesus and the gospel. And the way he chooses to describe the wonderful news of the kingdom of God is absolutely stunning. I tell you the truth. The, he's going to quote from Matthew 19, 28. I tell you the truth. These are the words of Jesus. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That's Matthew 19, 28. And he says, this is a breathtaking promise that we will receive a hundred times as much. In other words, there are losses. We have lost some things this year. We have, we have faced some hardships. And not just this year, we have lost things throughout our years. Amen? On earth. We have lost some things. And God says, listen, at the coming kingdom, those things are going to be renewed and restored and, and, and infinitely more, a hundred times more. And so listen, you, you didn't get to explore the Alps this year. You didn't get to go to Hawaii. You got all eternity to do it. Amen? And, and we can do it in a perfect glorified body. So if you couldn't get up that hill and make that hike, you can do it. You can do it in heaven and, uh, and in glory when the coming kingdom comes. But he goes on to say this. At the renewal of all things, the coming kingdom re re means the renewal of all things. That's how Jesus understood it. That's how he described it. In the New Living Translation, it says, at the recreation of the world. He goes on to say this. This is a promise so breathtaking, so shocking. And beautiful. I'm stunned that very few people even know of it. Oh, yes. We've heard quite a bit about heaven. But Jesus is not only talking about heaven. He's talking about the recreation of the earth we love. We have been looking for the renewal of all things all of our lives. It has been calling to every human being through every precious memory, through every moment of beauty, through every moment of goodness. It is the promise whispered in every sunrise, in every flower. And every wonderful day of vacation, it's the promise whispered in the birth of a child or the recovery of your health after a severe illness. The promise of the coming kingdom is also at the same time the secret of my unhappiness and your unhappiness. It's the secret to your being and the answer to the agony of the earth. They're one and the same. How is that, he says? Because we're all longing for the kingdom of God. We are aching for the restoration of all things. This is the only hope, there's the word, this is the only hope strong enough, brilliant enough, glorious enough to overcome the heartache of this world. Then he quotes from Hebrews 6, 19. He says this, We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure. That's what hope becomes. It's that foundation, but it's an anchor that holds us. The world is like a mighty ocean knocking us back and forth, and life is like that. But we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, according to Hebrews 6.19. It says this, The renewal of all things is the most beautiful, the most hopeful, glorious promise ever made in any story, in any religion, in any philosophy, or any fairy tale. And it is real. And it is yours, O Christian. 
And he says this, our job is to grab hold of this promise hold, uh, promise hope with both hands and never let go. And he says this, grab hard, friends, and hold tight. Oh, how we need to set our mind on the future promises. And that, listen, we can have hope because God promised to send Jesus. That's what Advent is all about. And in fact, this first week, as we celebrate the first candle, the first candle in the week of Advent is called the prophecy candle, where we remember the agony and the waiting of centuries of Old Testament people who were waiting for hundreds of years, generation after generation, waiting for the Messiah to come. And yet here we are finding ourselves waiting for the second coming of Christ. But if he sent Jesus the first time and he made good on that promise, he's going to make good on his second coming. Amen. Look at verse 7, and we'll close with verse 7 of Isaiah. says this, right? Of the increase of his government, right? We're thinking about the future and the future glory. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be what? No end. It's going to continue to increase. Christ's government and Christ's peace is going to continue to increase. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, right? His kingdom is coming to establish it and to uphold it with justice, right? Longing for justice in our world, it's going to come at the coming kingdom. And not just justice, but also what? Righteousness. You're longing for righteousness to be restored in our world? It's going to come at the coming kingdom. From this time forth, and then how long? Forevermore. Forevermore. And then he says this. He ends with this promise. The zeal or the passion of the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of heaven's armies, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, what's the promise? Will. He will do this. He will accomplish his plan. And so no matter how dark it looks, in the dark streets shineth an everlasting light. We can take comfort in that. I read Psalm 138 a few weeks ago in my time with the Lord. It just so encouraged me. And I, uh, this is from the New Living Translation. It says this, I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises, your promises are backed all by the honor of your name. You know how when you sign a document, right, you're putting your name on the line <laughs> and you're promising you're going to pay that bill, right? You sign that receipt, you sign a medical document, you're, I acknowledge my, give away all my privacy. All right, okay, yes, thank you, just keep signing, right? And uh, your name is on the line and God has signed all these promises in the Bible and he signed it all with the honor of his name. His name is at stake, and his name is good, and his name has not failed us yet. And so we can have hope in 2020, 2021, 1930, 25, I don't know what, however long God leaves the earth here, we can have hope because God has kept his promises, and we will continue to keep them. Amen? So we're going to have a time of response, and if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you haven't stepped across that line because no one just slides into being a Christian. A lot of people say they're a Christian. I grew up as a Christian or that sort of stuff. But no, there is a time where you give your life to Christ, where you turn from your sins and you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to give you that opportunity if that's you. It doesn't matter where you've been in church a hundred times, whether it's your first time at church. The Bible says that each of us need to respond to the decision to receive Christ. In fact, uh, uh, we'll throw up there the mic, Matthew 4, and uh, this is where Jesus quoted, and I want you to pay attention to the last word. This is where Jesus quoted from Isaiah 9, uh, again, talking about himself. He says this, the, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Man, that's encouraging, right? For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has shone. But in order to receive that light, notice what he says, 
uh, in the next part of the verse, verse 17 there, he goes on to tell them, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do you become part of the kingdom? How do you know that your hope can be sure and not just like, hey, I think I might go to heaven. I'm not entirely sure. How can you know with confidence that your hope is secure in heaven? You see the word there, right? Repent. What does that mean, Pastor? It means turn from your sin. It means turn your back on your way of doing things, my way of doing things, and embrace Christ in his way. That's what repent means. It just means turn. Make a U-turn and trust Christ. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And, and, if, and if you know the Lord is speaking to you with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. Nobody bothering their neighbor. If you know you have not turned from your sins ever and, and received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you, have, you haven't made that decision to say yes to Jesus, to step across the line and, and, and really give your life to him, I want to give you that opportunity. You could just repeat this prayer after me. There's no magic words, uh, but God knows the desire of your heart. These words just simply help you formulate the hope <laughs> that you have. But you might want to say something like this, and you can just repeat it quietly wherever you're sitting. You could say this, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, I'm sorry for my sins. But I hope in you. I hope in you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again. I believe you rose again. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Take charge of it all. Take charge of it all. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Heads bowed and, and eyes closed. If you pray that prayer for the first time, we don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. We just want to give you the opportunity to respond. Let, let one of us know before you leave or fill it out on the connection cards. There's a little checkbox there that says... Uh, Pray to receive Christ for the first time uh, because you have some next steps. You need to grow. In fact, the Bible says if you pray that prayer for the first time, uh, your next step is being baptized and uh, publicly identifying with Jesus Christ and declaring that you have a new life. And uh, it's a picture of your new life, that you've been forgiven of all your sins and you now have a hope of heaven, guaranteed, not by your own strength, but guaranteed by the blood of Christ. That's a beautiful thing. and We simply want to help you with that. And so I'd ask that even now you can... Uh, slip out that connection card there and just put it on there. I'd love to help you. For the rest of us who are believers, I want to pray for us to, to renew our hope in Christ. And so, Father, we come to you, people in need of hope, who live in a world in desperate need of hope, and Jesus Christ is the only sure thing. We live in a world of shifting sands. God, we can't even hope in ourselves most of the time. We disappoint ourselves. But, Father, thank you that Jesus has never failed. Not one promise has not come true. Not one word of your scripture been wrong. So, Father, we look to you, God. Renew our hope, Jesus. If we've been losing it, God, if, we, if we've been making agreements, God, we confess those right now, Lord. Confess, Jesus, that we, we have made hopeless agreements with the enemy, God, believing that we are hopeless, believing that we won't ever be loved, believing that we're not enough, believing that we're forever going to be lonely. Father, we renounce those agreements in the name of Jesus, God. We want to walk with you. Father, give us grace to do that every day, God, walking with the hope of Christ, 
because we know in whom, not in what, but in whom we have believed and we have a personal connection with you. Fill us with hope, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you're able and willing as we continue to sing and worship God.